like you've been having fun without me. All righty, it's Alpha Flight time, and uh, once again, I am joined by my good pal, Sean. How you doing this month, Sean? I'm doing much better. You you gave me a better issue this month. I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't cursing your name. I wasn't, you know, putting any pins in any voodoo dolls or anything. I was I was actually pretty happy to talk about this. One. So I'm, I'm doing well, man. How are you? Oh, good, good. Hanging in there. And that explains why my back doesn't hurt so much this time. So that's, <laughs> a, that's a good thing here. And uh, you are correct. We have... I mean, I mean, you know, saying this is a better issue than last issue isn't exactly a high bar. Yeah. But uh, in fact, this is a better issue. I, I would go as far to say it's it's a good issue. Oh yeah, it's, me too. So uh, it's a it's very different tonally, which is a good thing. Um, it kind of drops us into the action. Uh, it almost feels like we miss something when we jump yes. into it. But we'll get there when we get there. Here, uh, do you want to uh, you want to go through all the particulars of the uh, the creative teams? Yeah, absolutely. So we are covering Alpha Flight number 102, which is written by Scott Lobdell. So we have a new writer on the book. He's come in for Fabian Nicieza. That name's going to be very familiar to ex-fans from the 90s. This is sort of Lobdell's beginning, and, and he'll get much higher profile gigs in the very near future. <laughs> it's once again drawn by Tom Morgan, though we're going to mm-hmm. have some nicer things to say today. Yes. Tom brought his A game. Uh, it's inked by Chris Ivey. It's lettered by Janice Chang. Bob Sharon's the colorist, Bobby Chase is the editor, and Tom DeFalco is still editor-in-chief for about two more years. <laughs> this is true, this is true. And uh, this one you could have for the low, low price, or the high price of $1.50 back in the day here. 50 cents more than the uh, than the mainline X-Books, which is why I didn't buy it. <laughs> um, <laughs> our story, uh, it doesn't really open with Alpha Flight. It opens with uh, not even really a... Uh, uh, not even like a like an X-related villain here. This is a mainstream Marvel villain. This is a Fantastic Four villain, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. Diablo first appeared in Fantastic Four. In fact, yeah. he's the villain in John Byrne's first Fantastic Four. That's right. You know, written uh, and drawn issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where they're all on the stakes coming out of the thing there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, uh, we open here in uh, Tierra del Maze, which uh, is that like Land of Corn? Or <laughs> That's what I thought, too. I was like, it's exactly it's funny. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about it till you said it out loud. And I was like, really, Lobdell? Like, that's the laziest name company ever. Like, it's like the only word he could think of that he knew. And, and actually, technically, maize, I think, is a Native American word. I, think I, don't, so. know that, I don't think it's actually <laughs> the so. word. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, I don't know what it is in Spanish, but all right. So we, either way, we open in the land of corn. <laughs> we do in the land of corn and we meet the new man in charge of the land of corn. And uh, he is also a master of alchemy. His name is Diablo. And uh, he is busy, uh, well, uh, melting down all the members of the full, former ruling regime's military. He uh, really doesn't screw around. Uh, and he's already taken out the entire other regime. He's actually sitting on a throne made out of them uh, from what it looks like here. Uh, now, unfortunately, Diablo is having all of his fun at once, and uh, soon he'll be uh, pretty bored, we're thinking. Now, uh, this little fun time is interrupted by some guy who uh, is trying to, to inform him that several world powers have arrived to discuss some trade deals, and uh, more on that in a little bit. Oh, and also, there looks like there is some uh, intruders approaching. Now, Diablo thanks this fella by uh, flicking an explosive pill at him. Yeah, yeah, just immolates him. I mean, the guy, the guy just goes <laughs> up like a Roman candle. <laughs> yeah, like we said, Diablo doesn't mess around. Now, uh, we do meet those intruders, and, uh, well, duh, it's Alpha Flight. We uh, first catch up with Heather, and um, and here we are about four pages in, and the art kind of turns uh, a little bit uh, here. Uh, <laughs> things get a little bit sketchier. 
not as sketchy as they will be in a few pages, but oh yeah, this is this is where I first started to notice that okay, this is the same guy because uh, mm-hmm. the Diablo scene really looked cool. Um, now some of Diablo's men start firing at her, but she is able to evade these shots via bugging out with her electromagnetic suit, so she just zips out of there. Upon return, she finds that the baddies have all been knocked out. She thinks to herself, who might have done this? And uh, quickly dismisses the possibility that it was Wolverine because, A, he's with the X-Men, as if that ever stopped him before. And B, B, the fellas are still alive, and Wolverine probably would have killed them, even though he really doesn't kill that many people. Now, uh, we jump back to Department H, and uh, here's, you know, where the other shoe (laughs) drops as far (laughs) as the art is concerned here. Uh, our main man, Puck, here is informed that with Guardian and the gang down south, he is now the man in charge. Now, his first order of business here is to abdicate his position to Winshear. Uh, and then he cartwheels out of the uh, yep. out of the panel there. Now, it's it's funny. I had to look at these panels a couple times because, like, Winshear is calling for Puck. And uh, I had to I had to look at the panel twice to make sure it was Puck with a P. And not another word. <laughs> yeah, the lettering, yeah, get, it fades a little bit uh, over time. In but just yeah, the right it, places. <laughs> yep, it really does. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like he's uh, shouting obscenities as Puck uh, <laughs> cartwheels on out of the office. Yeah. Oh, boy. Now, uh, we jump back to the jungle and we meet up with North Star. And uh, he's trying to get a drink from a stream, which... I mean, even in the best of situations, it's kind of gross, and I don't see Northside yeah. doing that. Yeah, it felt a little out of character. I, I think Morgan is going for something, which I, I kind of like, I admire. He's opening every, you know, every time he cuts a scene, he's opening with something interesting. He's opening with either an interesting facial expression sure. or an interesting moment of action. So this was what I think he did for Northstar. But it is weird because it literally opens with him vomiting out stream water, which yeah. you're like, well, yeah, that's pretty gross, dude. <laughs> It's true. Now, uh, he is he is puking this stuff up because uh, he finds that it's been alchemized into a vinegar-like substance. Uh, now, he attributes this change to Diablo because, duh, he's an alchemist. And then he looks around and sees all the poor locals who are stuck suffering under the baddie's thumb here. They can't drink this water. It's not fresh anymore. It's vinegarish. Um, now, in uh, Taking his eyes off the prize for a second, Northstar finds himself attacked by the Avengers villain Whirlwind, mm-hmm. who uh, I, I remember most from uh, being in the uh, Captain America and the Avengers video game, more than even in the comic. I don't know why he sticks out to me so much for the game. But he looked really cool in that game. It's true. He was spinning in the blades. Like, he really did. I mean, the minute you said that, I was like, oh, that was a really – yeah, no, he looked really good. It was it was a shining moment for him. He, he's, a, he's definitely a so. C-list villain. <laughs> now it's funny here because whirlwind like the first thing out of his mouth is like hey i fought the avengers once <laughs> and north star scoffs and kind of mocks the avengers as having a somewhat padded reputation and uh i mean in in 1991 uh, he's not fair. entirely wrong yeah <laughs> um now this is where i kind of felt lost here it almost felt like we missed an issue because we jumped to a different part of the jungle where madison jeffries and diamond lil they're huddled up by their crashed aircraft and it looks like after dispatching the rest of the team into their you know proper drop zones they were nailed with some scramblers that sent the ships just crashing into the into the green here uh jeffrey's uh, naturally looks worse for the wear than uh the impenetrable lil and he tells her hey you know go save yourself she refuses and 
I, I I like was expecting like a uh, like a like an editor note here saying, oh, see mm-hmm. this issue for when this happened. This just feels so out of nowhere. Yeah. It's, I think it's abrupt on purpose. You know, he is, yeah. he's definitely taking in media race as far as it'll go. Oh, for uh, sure. And it, it, but I did the same thing. I was like, wait a minute. I missed something from, you know, did I miss something in the last issue? I was like, no, I, just, I spent an hour talking about that issue. <laughs> I didn't miss anything. And even though I may have wished I had. So I was like, okay, I get it. I get what Lobdell's doing. It's almost like the first episode of a new season of a TV show. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to put every character in an interesting position and then go. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I was like, I know they they had like weird like Alpha Flight specials and stuff. I'm like, oh, did we miss one? I mean, was there an Alpha <laughs> Flight special number three or something that we didn't see? Um, now uh, they're they're huddled up here and you know they're they're hanging out by the crash. Uh, we jump elsewhere into the jungle still, uh, where we see Sasquatch and he's getting into position. And uh, upon arrival in the area where he's supposed to be, he uh, he walters down. He turns into a normal <laughs> human again and. Uh, his whole deal, he's there to strategically apply some explosives to Diablo's Comscram Towers, uh, which I'm guessing those Comscram Towers probably are what took down the ship in the first place, mm-hmm. or at least had a part in it, I don't know. Now, uh, we rejoin Heather, and she finds herself becoming entangled in some titanium vines. So uh, Diablo's been alchemizing again. Uh, he shows up, uh, he greets our gal, and he accuses her of declaring war on his defenseless little country, and then he alchemizes those vines again. I don't even know if that's a word, but we're going to use it. That's good. Uh, it works. Yeah. <laughs> he, he alchemizes it, um, and he <laughs> makes them uh, seep with uh, hydrochloric acid. And uh, I I hate his face here. Oh, yeah. It yeah, is, it's, it's smarmy. But, but like, just like... This looks like uh, like if you ever see somebody try to draw manga and it, it never <laughs> comes out right. Like the eyes are always like cockeyed and the uh-huh. mouths are always weird. It, it looks like that. <laughs> he just looks so off in yeah. this scene here. I, it, honestly, he looks like the Pringles can guy come to life. And it, he does. it does. Yeah, it does. It's just, yeah, does. right. It's, it's weird. It's a weird image. Though, you know, when we get into it, I'll, I do want to give Morgan some credits. At least he's going for it on this issue. This is true. This is true here. Now, we have Heather. She's, you know, being just bombarded with this uh, hydrochloric acid. And uh, then Diablo is attacked by <gasps> a mysterious stranger. And uh, it's the very same shadowy guy from the cover, in case you were wondering. It mm-hmm. kind of looks like a Spider-Man in his black costume without a spider on it. Yeah, um, yeah exactly what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> he is very lumpy, too. He is quite lumpy. Um, now, Diablo gets knocked off his game for a moment, which allows Heather to break free of her bindings. She's happy to see whoever this is coming to her aid, even though she doesn't have the foggiest idea who it might be under the mask. As they become acquainted, he, he says that he is a Weapon Omega, and uh, they just pay attention to each other long enough for Diablo to nail them with some sort of electric charge, which knocks them both out. He then captures them in a bubble to take them away. So really not the not the best debut for Weapon Omega. No, pretty, yeah, pretty ignominious. <laughs> yes, it's very, very lackluster. Yeah. Now, uh, Diablo's feet here is met by a raucous round of applause. Uh, now in a cool bit here, like these curtains open up and it's like, there's, it's like there was like an audience watching him do this. It's like jungle curtains swing open. <laughs> we have an audience full of like suits, representatives from the various world powers. And they're here for those trade negotiations that were mentioned earlier on. And, uh, thing of it is they believe Diablo has vibranium to trade. Mm-hmm. 
He does not. Nope. <laughs> but he that does doesn't not. matter. Now, we jump back to Northstar, and he and Whirlwind are, like, fighting in quotes, because, uh, actually, John Paul is just using Whirlwind to chop down a bunch of trees to unwittingly dam up the stream, which is actually very, very smart. Mm-hmm. Because in, in damming up the works, it somehow blocks Diablo's vinegar curse here. So on the other end of the dam, or on the other side of the dam, I suppose, uh, it's fresh water. So the, the locals can drink, and uh, and conveniently enough, just as soon as Northstar is done with Whirlwind, he knocks himself out on a giant rock. I had to reread that scene a couple <laughs> times, because he, he plunges ahead, he hits his head on this rock when Northstar dodges, and then Northstar is just, like, chilling in the water, and he, like... Up. Dips a baby in it. And, and he, he baptizes a child. Baptizes a kid. Just, you know, <laughs> and then runs away. And I'm like, wait a minute. All those villagers are still right there. And so is Whirlwind. Whirlwind. Like, yes. what are you doing, dude? <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. I just, and I love the scene of him just, he's baptizing a child. Yeah. Just fully dips that kid in the water. <laughs> oh, man. It's just so weird. Oy. Okay. So now after after the baptism here, like like you said here, Northstar is like, I got to get Diablo. And he jams out. Uh, but we shift scenes next to the Maximum Security Ward of Department H for a scene I did not remember in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Uh, we he, we learn here that Aurora and uh, Headlock, I think he was a West Coast Avengers villain, right? That's a good memory, yeah. West Coast okay. Avengers 10, yeah. He, I think he and the Griffin fight the West Coast Avengers. In the gotcha. Mission. Gotcha. Yeah, they're both locked in custody here, and Headlock is a creepy dude. Mm-hmm. It's very creepy, and Aurora just looks like she's just done with it. She is just lost. Um, now we jump back to the jungle to wrap things up here, and uh, uh, Walter Langowski here, he's setting up some explosives, and upon wiping the dust off of one of those comm towers, he learns that it was manufactured by, guess who? The evil corporation Roxxon, mm-hmm. because they make everything bad. <laughs> Now, he is then nailed in the back with a shield. He turns around, unfortunately not to be confronted by Captain America, but instead by a U.S. agent. And yep. that is that. It's an exciting this, issue. This was a lot better. Oh, yes. And this was a lot better. I, 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 after we read that last one, I... I I'm so I'm so like Swiss cheese memoried over this uh, this era of this book. I'm like, wow, this is just going to be a slog. But uh, <laughs> no, this was uh, this very very good here. I liked seeing the team doing their thing. Um, it uh, it was a, a very good introduction for uh, for Lobdell here. I think he yeah. didn't have to really go deep on the character so much, uh, and it's not like so cold of a restart to where. To where people who were reading up to this point would feel like off put by it. Yeah, no, I think he does a really smart thing. I think he, and unlike some writers who come in and say, you know, I'm going to put my stamp on this book yeah. right away and I'm going to show that everything's different, you know, everything's changed, not everything you sure. knew was wrong. He just comes in and says, you know what this book has been lacking? It's been lacking a little straightforward action. Like, and, and he's yeah. not wrong. Um, the book prior to him has been really convoluted. I mean, even the last issue, you know, was a mess. And I think he very wisely says, like, I'm just going to come in hot. Like, I'm going to do a, a action issue against a familiar Marvel villain. I'm going to introduce a new teammate and I'm going to introduce a mystery and we're going to go from there. And th- and there is I mean, literally, when you open this issue, there's a like, ah, there's a breath. <laughs> there's like, sure. It's a, the comic book itself almost breathes a sigh of relief <laughs> because there's some much needed energy 
coming our way from Lobdell. Oh, definitely, definitely. Because even even just looking at the covers here, uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the number 101 sat on my nightstand for a long time mm-hmm. before I opened it because it's like it, there was nothing inviting about it. It was it was just it was Doctor Strange on the cover of an Alpha Flight book, and uh, I had zero interest. But uh, popping into this one, we have a mystery man on the cover. We have uh, we actually have some action on the cover. It was uh, definitely inviting. And I, and I was actually as soon as we finished uh, last time, I was looking forward to this one. Yeah, me uh, too. Yeah, because it's just such a uh, such a shift. And uh, granted, I haven't read a whole lot, you know, that led up to what we read last issue. But uh, if uh, if what we read last issue and everything you've said is any indication, I'm not missing much. Nope. <laughs> No, I mean, Alpha Flight is and and has always been a book of dramatic and sudden shifts in tone and in direction. I mean, you go from the clean sort of, you know, uh, pencils of John Byrne and and Byrne's run was odd. I mean, it was a a non-team team book, basically. Yeah, Yeah, but it was great. And then Bill Mantlo and Mike Mignola come in and Mantlo's just doing body horror. Like he's just doing straight body horror stories. And I remember Mm -hmm. as a kid that was really jarring. Hudnall comes in after Mantlo and does like high fantasy. And then Nicieza yep. tries to bring them back to like Canada, the, the basics of burn, but it's such a mess that I really, and I remember, you know, buying this off the racks. I was pretty close to dropping this book. I was like, look, I'm collecting this out of nostalgia. I'm collecting it. Cause I have a love for, you know, the first maybe 50 issues of this book, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been great, you know, recently. And then I, I, I remember giving Scott Lobdell a chance because I read something in, I don't know, like Marvel Age or, you know, Wizard or something about him coming on the book. And and I was like, OK, you know, I'll give this new guy a chance. And I was glad. I mean, first issue, I was like, yep, OK, I'm in. Like, he's got me for a while. This is good. <laughs> and little did I know what he would go on to be. I mean, you know, we didn't know he was going to be the basically the dominant X writer. Oh, yeah, the, the main 90s. architect of uh, of the of the, you know, of the greater portion of the 90s. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, uh, you know, it's funny because. I I only met Lobdell in in the X Men book, so I wasn't aware of his uh his Alpha Flight run. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, I'd heard of 106, which we'll be talking about eventually. <laughs> yes. Um, because we've all heard of 106 mm-hmm. that Lobdell wrote, but uh, never thought to like it was never like must reading to to go check out like the the you know, the seminal work of Scott Lobdell pre X Men and uh, and I'm glad that I've got this opportunity to actually not only do it but to like do it with sort of an analytical eye. Um, because uh, I, I think that Lobdell's a, a writer that doesn't get like half the credit that he deserves. Yeah. Um, I think just like this era of, of comics, uh, as a matter of fact, he's very, I, he's kind of interchangeable with this era in that it is just so easily dismissed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the poor guy will always have this kind of albatross around him. It's like, oh, well, you wrote comics in the nineties. <laughs> Like, yeah, and people forget because then they'll then you'll ask them, well, what were your favorite stories from the '90s? And they'll say, oh, Age of Apocalypse. You know, exactly. The main architect of that. Well, they'll <laughs> yes. say, oh, well, Generation X was my favorite X book. And it's like, well, that was that was that Lobdell. Was and, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. People forget that he did a lot of really great work, uh, really great sure. work at this time. For sure. And uh, yeah, and I mean, we we'll we'll eventually get to him taking over the X books and uh, the. Odd circumstances, uh, you know, meeting, you know, talking to some guy at a Christmas party or whatever yeah. it was. But, uh, you know, I, it, it was as much as it was right place, right time, I, I think uh, I think he uh, personally, I think he knocked it out of the park uh, just just like he did here with this issue. Um, 
you know, I'm not. Yeah, the Avengers I kind of run hot and cold on. There are a lot of eras of the Avengers that I enjoy. There are mm-hmm. some that I really, really don't. Um, like if we're talking about like Busek Perez, loved it. Uh, Under Siege, loved it. Yep. Um, this era, not so much. Uh, yeah. Current day, no. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, when I see when I see U.S. Agent, yeah. I'm just like, oh boy. U.S. Agent is like Twitter as a comic book character. Like he's just, <laughs> he's just, he looks cool on the surface, and you're like, oh, that's a cool costume, and like he's, he reminds you of something you think you would like, and then you delve in, and you're like, oh, he's awful. He's everything <laughs> wrong. He's everything bad. Like I just, the minute I saw the shield, because I had forgotten this too. The only thing I remembered from this issue was Weapon Omega coming. Mm-hmm. And when I got to the last page, I was like, oh, cool, okay, yeah, we're gonna get a little Avengers Alpha fight again. And then I was like, oh. Like, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, he's like the human Price is Right trombone. You're just like, you know, burr, yeah. burr, 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 and it's like, oh, OK, U.S. agent. The one thing I am hopeful for, though, is I just hope Sasquatch just nails him. I'm like, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. And, and it's funny. Um, I, I attributed such weird uh, value to U.S. agent before I even read a book with him in it, because the uh, Captain America U.S. Agent trading card from Marvel Marvel version three or whatever or series three was the only card I couldn't find. So I oh. just like built it in my head that U.S. Agent was a very important guy. <laughs> and uh, no, no, he's not. Um. No. Well, I mean, you know, the, the funny thing is, is because because, you know, the backstory of that costume is really important because that's when Cap walks away from walks being away. Cap. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the U.S. government's going to turn him into sort of a, a military yep. Like a weapon deal, yeah. Yeah, they're gonna, and they even say we're like we're gonna send you overseas to topple governments, and he's like, no, yeah, I'm not doing this. So when he steps away, and John Walker steps in as Cap, who eventually John Walker becomes U.S. agent, but Cap adopts that Captain costume. I love that costume. Sure. The U.S. agent costume, the Captain costume, is literally one of my favorite costumes in comics. So I, I like you. I have a weird affinity when it first shows up. Mm-hmm. And then I remember who's under the costume, and I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's no, <that> guy. <laughs> yeah. It, basically, I, I think what Marvel was trying to do with him is he was almost Marvel's Guy Gardner. Like, you know, yes. Guy Gardner starts yes. off as just a jerk, and he's an antagonist, and you, 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 he's there in order to make you like Hal Jordan more, which is hard to do sometimes, um, sometimes because yeah, because yeah, Guy's such a jerk. But then DC did the really smart thing, and they evolved him. Yes. And, you know, and Guy is still a, you know, rough and tumble, you know, one guy who loved Rambo three kind of dude, but he's charming at times and and you kind of learn to love him. And and now he's a character who I I get excited when he shows up. But Marvel never took that last step with John Walker. And instead, he's just a jerk. Yeah, (laughs) totally. He is uh, not the uh, not the most pleasant. Um, uh, He is very bulbous here. Very, very, very bulbous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, do do you wanna do you wanna talk about Mr. Morgan uh, right now? Yeah, let's do. Cause look, look, from page one, he literally steps his game up from the last issue. And sure. and actually, I'll be honest with you, when I read page one, I thought this was Joe Casada. Because you, you know, you know, you uh, yes, yes. Yeah, the guy melting. So it's a really disturbing image. It's a full page splash page of a guy singing I want to live in America from West Side Story 
while Diablo is melting him. I mean, it's, it's really <laughs> disturbing. Like it's a, and, it, and the contrast of the dialogue, it's all really troubling, which makes a good statement from the beginning. Sure. But I, I looked at that and I went, oh man, this looks like X Factor era Casada. This is like Morgan is stepping it up. Mm-hmm. And then I really like, there's some great touches in here. Like even when they're the, the minion is telling him that the people have arrived and he's going to kill the guy. There's just a, a smug, kind of there's a weird undercurrent of humor in, in Diablo in this. Issue. Oh yeah. Just really f- like sarcasm gallows humor. And a lot of that's Lobdell's writing, but I think Morgan's doing a good job of conveying that. So I, I want to give him some props. I think he's, there are some really nice moments in this. What about you? Do you think he, it's a, an improvement? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely an improvement. And those, like you said, those first like two or three pages really top notch. I, I had to actually look at the credits because yeah. I, I didn't think it was the same fella. Um, and then he came back. Uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a lot better than last time. There was no, there were no potty faces here. Nobody yeah. looked like they, they had to go to the bathroom really bad. Um, uh, even like even like North Star's mullet, which was wet, uh, in fairness, wasn't quite as, you know, tremendous as it was last time. Uh, I think uh, for the most part, everybody looked I mean, everybody was on model, of course, but everybody looked yeah. good. Yeah. And, and there's some scenes, I think, in particular, the so the Madison Jeffries Diamond Lil scene. It is abrupt. I mean, Lobdell's writing makes it abrupt because all of a yeah. sudden we're at, a, we're at the site of a plane crash. The box armor has crashed. But Lil holding Jeffries and it, and him saying, like, oh, look, I'm, I'm not I can't move. You need to go without me. And she says to him, like, no, I'm staying and, and I'll even die here to protect you. I believe it. Like the art's carrying that for me. I, I'm like, OK, sure. I'm in on this relationship, which is a relationship I really like anyway. Mm-hmm. So he did a, a really good job with that scene. You know, there's some wonky moments. There, so there's the Sasquatch scene next where he's traping through the jungle. And then we cut back to Guardian, to Heather Hudson. Or I should say, we cut back to her giant tush. It, yes. I mean, this is she's flying, <laughs> she's flying towards like the capital, and she's in a position that no human body could be in. And her, her, if you look at the proportions, I mean, she's she like it's it's you could see her tush from space. I mean, it's it's like Kardashian level exaggerated. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's pretty bad, except. He does the same thing with other characters. That oh, scene yeah. where Puck is is handing off responsibility to Winchier, there's a total Winchier butt shot. shot. Yeah, there's yep. a total butt shot. So I was like, you know what, Tom Morgan? Cool. <laughs> You're going to do it. Butt shot. Exactly. At least be <laughs> fair about it. So I, I gave him a little a little credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's uh, like I think uneven is probably the best way to put it because uh, – like I'm looking at the fight between Whirlwind and North Star, it looks great. Yeah. Um, I think that these like weird electromagnetic costumes didn't help anybody uh, mm-hmm. so much, uh, insofar as aesthetics, anyway, um, because uh, they are very, very lumpy. Very, yeah. Very lumpy. And it exaggerates his issues with proportion. For sure. Know, which I'm okay with. You know, a lot of comic book. I mean, you know. A lot of comic book artists play around proportion, but sure. he, he does some nice work, too. So in that fight with Whirlwind and, and Northstar, like you were saying, the fight itself is, you know, is action packed and it's, you know, kinetic. And there's a moment when <laughs> after Whirlwind knocks himself out by hitting himself into a rock, his head into a rock, Northstar jumps into the water and he realizes it's changed from vinegar to water. And that his facial expression is charming. Oh, like yeah. He's, he's like, oh, I did it. I thought this would happen. I did it. 
And then we get kind of the, a, a little step back in Morgan when the woman walks up with her baby and, and <laughs> North Star <laughs> ostensibly is giving him water, but it looks like he's baptizing him. I mean, this is like, I, I swear to God, and I'm, I'm maybe a little sensitive to it because I'm Mexican, but I was reading this and I was going, this is like a poster for colonialism. Like this is exactly <laughs> like, like the, the, the great white savior comes in and the, you know, the South, South American peasant woman in her peasant dress with her like, you know, emaciated baby. And I was like, dude, like, come on. Like, you know, I was like, I know it's the nineties, but you know, I mean, it literally just screamed like colonialism. Yay. <laughs> and I was like, just come on. So, so yeah, the art steps back a little bit there, but I don't want to harp on him because I think he does a lot more good than he does bad. It's true. It's true here. Cause even I'm looking at the, uh, the scene in the maximum security uh, department H prison here. And I think that looks great. Even like the two, like the two guards outside have very uh, have very good looking faces. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing nothing as scratchy as we saw. Uh, neither of them have to go to the bathroom from the looks of it. Yeah, it's good. Um, and the uh, what's his face here? Uh, what, the, what the hell's his name here? A headlock. Yeah, uh, looks just amazingly creepy. Yeah, that's a troubling scene. The way yeah. Aurora is like huddled in the corner. Sure. It is really, I mean, it's, it's, it captures the creepiness of it. He does a good job with that. And yeah, I just, yeah, I think overall, if, if this is the Tom Morgan we're going to get, I'm cool. Like, you know, sure. yeah, there's going to be some unevenness to it. And he's definitely, and maybe even editorially was told to, but he's definitely trying to channel, you know, cool, you know, early image stuff. Big but time. he's got, he's got a good handle. Like when he draws the two diplomats who are watching, you know, just watched Diablo defeat Guardian and Weapon Omega. And one of them leans over and is like, this guy's a psycho. What are we doing? And the woman <laughs> says, well, one word, vibranium. Yep. Diablo pops in suddenly and like like tis- tisks her. And her facial expression <laughs> is fantastic. It's good. It totally <laughs> captures the like, oh, my God. Like what? Like this is crazy. So like, where I'm, am I? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really enjoying the I'm enjoying the the goofiness of Diablo because it's purposeful. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm enjoying that he's a little bit drunk on power and is kind of, you know, defeating this this superpowered team almost on his own and and is kind of really enjoying that and I think it's a lot of fun I I I really love this issue but I, we haven't kind of talked about we we buried the lead here what oh, are your yes. thoughts on uh, on Weapon Omega Um he was a little underwhelming this time but I mm-hmm. do I do love that's that's something that's missing from uh, from comics these days are the mysteries Yeah uh, because we don't we don't get something like this anymore uh, and if we do it's spoiled for us before the first issue even comes out. And uh, I, I, I like this kind of a thing here. And, you know, we, uh, we're we not going to say who it is right now. No, but, no uh, yeah, we'll keep it secret. But just the, the whole thing is, uh, it's just so, and I, I hate it when people will say this is very, very 90s or very, very 80s. I, I feel like that's kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is a very 90s thing uh, yeah. just to have this mystery character who shows up and is like instantly just like the coolest guy in the room or coolest girl in the room. And that's something that I miss just so much because it's just such part of my, my, my comics upbringing, I guess. Yeah. And, and so seeing just this shadowy character fly in and just, you know, drop kick Diablo, it, it, it made me pop, you know, I liked seeing that. And, uh, Unfortunately, uh, he took his eye off the prize and wound up in a bubble. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, still, it's uh, it's really cool, and it uh, you know it didn't insist upon itself here. It's it is yeah. a cover feature, but it was a scene. It wasn't 
the entire book. It wasn't, uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't, you know, poochied out right away, you know, <laughs> where, you know, it wasn't North Star going, oh, I wonder how that mask guy's doing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, it was it was well done. It was well done. It was understated and we're building to something. So and yeah. that's great. That's really cool. I like the way you put that. It is. It is. It's nicely. It's organically folded in. Sure. Because they're on a covert mission that you know the Canadian government won't. You know, will basically disavow them. You know, they're on this covert mission, and so to have a covert agent who they didn't even know about makes a really cool kind of sense. In fact, mm-hmm. I remember being a kid thinking, oh, are they going to expand? their you know kind of their their membership in a in like a almost like an espionage way where you know because they've always had omega flight beta flight beta and flight, alpha flight yeah, yeah and so they've always had a roster they've always had like a farm club and so i thought oh that'd be really cool if they employed them almost as you know uh, external agents or spies or you know that's that's their person in europe or that's their person sure. in you know in china and, and so i was kind of like oh that's really cool and i i like the fact that you know when he enters Heather kind of accepts him really quickly. Like she's sure. like, okay, you know, he's like, I'm yep. from Department H, I'm Weapon Omega, and she's like, okay, welcome to Alpha cool. Flight. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's a little quick. Uh, you know, that's a little fast to accept a new member. But uh, Lobdell's done a nice job because he set up the context as such that this guy's already saved her life, and sure. you know, he's proven his uh, his allegiance at least in this moment. And and there's definitely, you know, Morgan, and clearly this was in the script. Morgan does a nice job. So Weapon Omega moves in, you know, hits Diablo. Diablo repels him and sh- and Heather catches him. And there's a, a moment where it's I mean, they're basically in a pose like like they would be about to kiss if this were yes. a different context. So that's even kind of nice because, you know, I mean, her husband has been dead for a whole issue. So, like, God, this if you true. get please move on, Heather, like, you know. <laughs> Uh, you can't be a widow for, you know, what are you going to be a widow for two months? Oh, uh, it's just, you know, <laughs> Jesus. But so anyway, I like that they're setting up a little tension there, which is pretty cool. And, yeah. and you know, there's some evocative stuff in here. Like when he first comes on the scene and he kicks Diablo, I mean, that's he looks like the beast. Like if you changed his head, mm-hmm. you know, that's a that's a Hank McCoy pose. Pose, and, sure. You know, and then he he charges him again and he, and he almost looks like he's popping claws. You're like, oh, OK, maybe it's Wolverine. And then he kind of looks like Spider-Man in a, in a later scene. So they're definitely evoking a type I, of character to you know, get you I, one. I missed that altogether here. That that is that is an awesome point. I didn't even consider that. Uh, I guess I guess hindsight kind of blinded me to the fact that this could have been anybody. Yeah, and, oh yeah. Uh, and the poses here are, like you said, very evocative of very popular characters here. That's an awesome point. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You know, I wish I was reading this back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just kind of another, you know, really tip of the cap to Morgan. Sure. Because in in two pages, we get a well, it looks like the Beast. It looks like mm-hmm. Spider Man. It looks like Wolverine. And and we know it's not, you know, sure. a couple of those characters, but it's enough to entice. And then he's got some charm to him too. You know, he's got some directness to him. And I like him. I like him. And and I think you you said something really interesting about it. Not, you know, kind of falling in love with itself. You know, I think about the introduction of Gambit in the X-Men. Okay. And he's, you know, he's Gambit and, and it's a good issue, but he's very like, you know, you know, wee, wee, wee. And he's, you know, very, it's yeah. very like Pepe Le Pew and look at me and, you know, I'm flashy with my trench coat. And I like that this was a bit more understated. And I really like that he gets taken out quickly. Sure. Because it does say, okay, they're introducing somebody, but, you know, 
he's still he can be beaten. They're not going to just have him be yeah. you know unbeatable from the start. Yeah, because that's that's another. This is like an anti '90s trope because yeah. like, like back then it's like you have you bring in Doomsday and he beats up Darkseid. Yeah. No, <laughs> exactly. Like... Yeah. <laughs> what are they? Like, I think they call it warfing, right? From Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> whenever yeah. they would, yeah, whenever they bring a new character on, a new villain, they'd have him beat up Worf, and you were like, oh, he's really now tough. He and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't do that here, which is really nice, and I, I like that actually. I thought that was pretty no, cool. And, and you know, a little bit more about like Lobdell, like kind of cutting his teeth here. I, I think this book falls under the radar just far enough to where he can actually have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. And uh, like. Like you said here, Diablo is, you know, he's like Joker light, you know, he's, yeah. he's just, just giggling. And it's, it's, there's this weird sarcastic humor, dark humor to him. Yeah. And I think there's some nice like contrasting styles here where, you know, we get the, the weird, like ultra violence of Diablo and, and his, you know, but him being really tongue in cheek about it. Sure. And then we get the the mystery of Weapon Omega, but we get the the peril of Madison Jeffries. Like, you know, he looks like he might actually die on this mission. Okay. So I like the I I really like the fact that Lobdell is playing around with tone, that they're you know they're they're cutting scenes quickly, which is a you know kind of 90s MTV you know kind of everything in 90s was like TV sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, quick cuts. But I look I I have to tell you for the first time in a long time. When I was buying this off the racks, I finished an issue of Alpha Flight and went, oh, man, I can't wait for the next issue. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And and just a little bit more on your more to your point here. Every every character on this team gets gets a moment, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I, I mean, we could talk about decompression until the cows come home where we can have a we can have an issue of a comic today being a scene with one character eating breakfast. But. <laughs> I mean, here we have the entire team getting uh, little vignettes here, um, and it is quick cuts, crash TV sort of a feel, but everybody's getting their moment, and uh, and we have reason to worry or care or invest in every single one of them going into the next issue, which we don't, we definitely don't see today, and uh, I'm not even sure we saw all that much back then. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, it's funny. This reminds me of I don't know if you read Silver Surfer, the the second volume of it so it was the like Engelhart? steve Englehart. yeah yeah, yeah a so little Englehart, bit uh Englehart and marshall rogers you know they're a classic team from batman, sure. from batman they launched yeah. that silver surfer book in the late 80s and they're on it for about three years and it's a it's good it, but it's a little flowery it's a little Englehart trying to get really philosophical and he brings mantis in who's like my least favorite character but he brings her into everything like he writes. Yeah. oh my god she just just <laughs> kills everything oh. Yeah, it, yeah she's uh, I have no interest in her. But anyway, I enjoyed that book, but I was like really losing steam on it. I remember being a kid being like, oh, I'm going to drop this. This is getting really boring. And then an, an annual came out and it was like the it was like the evolutionary war, okay. some horrible crossover annual. But Ron Mars wrote a backup story in it. Mm-hmm. And I remember even at the time and I was pretty young, I remember being like, oh, this is good. Like this guy's really good. And I made a point of looking at his name because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is the best thing I've read with Silver Surfer in, in a long time. And I remember thinking, oh, I wish this guy would take over the book because just out of the gates, if he's this good, then eventually Ron Mars takes it over and, yeah. and writes, yeah. you know, great Silver Surfer and then goes on to, you know, write Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. And I had a, a similar reaction to Lobdell with this issue where I was like, never heard your name before, but mm-hmm. you are already showing you've got chops. And then little, you know, little did we know, I mean, he's still writing. I, Red Hood and the Outlaws 
is still coming out from DC and he's written that entire series. In fact, I think it's the only surviving book from the new 52 that hasn't been canceled. Yeah. Cause I think it's the only one that was uh, brought in as a monthly uh, post rebirth. I think that and like teen Titans are it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that are, that are still going on. Uh, I, I mean, like I think all the bi week are almost all the bi weeklies are, are all the bi what's it? Yeah. Bi weekly. Yeah. I think all, almost all of them are now monthlies, but, uh, but when they when they launched it, like half were twice a month and half were once a month. And uh, uh, Red Hood, uh, I think because it's Red Hood colon outlaw now. Oh, yeah. And because uh, I think it's just Jason Todd doing some stuff and uh, Teen Titans. I think those are the only two that are still that are still kicking from that monthly uh, monthly launch, which says a lot. And, yeah. Uh, I haven't read it in a while, but I, I still buy it because it's Scott Lobdell. And uh, as we'll find out in little while uh you know scott lobdell wrote uncanny x-men number 308 which means i will buy everything that's got yeah. Lobdell writes so, no he's, uh, he's got some great issues in his belt and and oh, actually yeah. I, I misspoke it red hood and the outlaws isn't the one that wasn't canceled it's the only it's the only book that has the same writer on it oh sure from, yeah, yeah yeah no no creative team change yeah yeah so yeah. that's really cool and yeah i, I was really excited I, i'm glad we got to this issue you know I, I i you know you had said last episode which i think is really true that it almost it's almost like the Wolverine issue you covered in the last episode as well, where mm-hmm. this issue should have come out last month. And the Wolverine yeah. issue that the the start of the uh, Shiva scenario should have come out last month so that the entire X line was really starting with a bang. But, you know, only a month later. And, and now here we are. Sure, sure. And I mean, we're the only ones that remember it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. it is what it is. Again, not that we're obsessives. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But, uh, no, this was a this was a really good issue compared to the last one, and uh, I'm really looking forward to where this goes. Uh, I, I, you know, like I said, I've got like Swiss cheese memory with this book, so I don't know if it falls off a cliff anytime soon or if it just like sort of goes, you know, sort of like a decline to toward the end. But uh, I guess we'll uh, I guess we'll find out together here. <laughs> yeah, my memory my memory is that the Lobdell with with a couple exceptions like 106 which we'll get to is yeah. that the Lobdell run is is brief but really good mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and has a fun like there's a world tour arc coming up that I remember really enjoying. Right. And then when he leaves the next writer comes in and there's some interesting stuff but that's where it starts, you know, gently laying into its decline. Yeah, cuz I I feel like um like all the issues that I, I pick up or that I have picked up that were at the very end of this run were all like crossovers with like different infinity events. <laughs> yes, that's where it really starts going off the rails. Yeah, yeah, which uh, yeah, that's going to be some interesting stuff to talk about as well. <laughs> but <laughs> we uh, we uh, do get a letters page in this book. Oh, yeah. Well, kind of. It's uh, it's actually the credits to Alpha Flight 100 because they forgot to put them in uh, on Alpha <laughs> Flight 100, which uh, – yeah, what are you gonna do? That that one was written by Fabian Ecieza with uh, several pencilers and a lot of anchors, and uh, yeah, I I haven't read that one in very many 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 years, so uh, I would wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I, yes, I uh, will take I will take your word for it here. But uh, um, anything else to say about the uh, the issue? No, just uh, I love the mystery of Weapon Omega, and and actually you know now of course I didn't at the time I was I was hooked on it, but now and, and I know who it's going to be, and that's even super satisfying. Like I, it's, sure. it's it's a mystery that's going to have a good payoff, so I'm excited for that, and uh, yeah, I'm glad we're getting into the Lobdell era, and and this is the first time 
you know, I've ever really gone back and looked at these issues with any sort of, you know, analytical eye other than sure. just flipping through them and reading them. And so it's kind of neat to get to be at the beginning of Lobdell's career. It's kind of cool yeah. to, to be like, oh, this is capital L Scott Lobdell. And we're seeing him when he's first breaking in. That's pretty neat. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think uh, just watching the trajectory of his career and his style is, is going to be one of the most fun uh, parts of this entire, you know, project that we're, mm-hmm. we're working on here. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him mature into his role here. And I mean, he comes out of the gate really well to begin with. So it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to track him. You know, God willing, we get to Uncanny X-Men 350 or 349, I guess. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and his, you know, exit. But uh, we'll, we'll play it as we go here. But before I let you go, uh, you know, last month, everybody met you. You know, we, we, were in, we introduced everybody. Uh, everybody met me. Um, but... Taking a page out of the uh, Moratory Monday show, where we cover an issue of Strike Force Moratory every week, there's a bullpen bulletin page in, mm-hmm. in most Marvel comics. And part of that is something they call a pro-file, where they have a, an editor, a staff member, a creator, just to answer a bunch of silly questions. And I figured it might be fun to do that here as well, since... Uh, you know, we've we've introduced you. Now let's ask you some silly questions from uh from the pod file, I guess we can call it. <laughs> nice. Uh, now our first question is uh, what do you do? Where does your stuff appear? Uh, so uh, a, a nice little segue. Uh, so I'm on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network. I co-host Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond, where we review every issue of every Marvel Secret Wars miniseries. Uh, we've covered Volume 1, which was awesome, Volume 2, which is poop, and then we are now at Volume 3, which is my favorite crossover ever, the one by Hickman and, and Ribic. and we have a What If cast where we talk about our favorite issues of What If, and we have guests on, which is a lot of fun. So so that's where my work can be found. Beautiful. Now, how about some past stuff, stuff you don't do anymore? Is there anything that you, that you left behind or finished or had uh, written or whatever, uh, past work? Yeah, when I was in college, in high school and college, I wrote a lot. And in particular, I wrote a lot of poetry. Uh, I was sort of a live journal before live journal existed. Okay. <laughs> and um, and I moved on from that. I found my creative my creative juices in teaching. And, you know, I kind of got that, that creative side of me out on that. So, yeah, don't do that so much anymore, even though I actually still really love poetry and I love teaching poetry. <laughs> but uh, don't write it so much anymore, which is actually just a kindness to anybody who reads because it was, <laughs> it was not good. <laughs> now, uh, what about hobbies? Well, obviously, I'm a comic book collector. You know, if I'm if I'm on a show talking about Alpha Flight 101 <laughs> and 102 <laughs> – and I'm not a comic collector, then there's there's some real questions. Oh, you lost the bet. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm one of the few people I know who never stopped collecting comics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most people collected and then they'll, you'll hear the story. They'll go, oh, you know, I started as a kid and I stopped around 15 and 16 because of girls. I didn't stop at 15 or 16. Pro- you know, I I think the girls weren't very interested in me. So I just stayed with comics. <laughs> um and so I've, I've uninterruptedly, you know, collected since 1982, 1982 or 83. Wow. And so I have a yeah giant comic collection, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. And I'm using this time at home to actually organize and, and go through all of my long boxes. So so that's kind of the hobby right now. Very cool. Very cool. Now, out of all the work you've done, uh, podcasting, writing, what is the work you're most proud of? 
So I would say we did a show, Greg Arujo and I did a show on Pulp to Pixel uh, called Squadron Supreme Cast. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a really fun show where we covered the 12 issue maxi series Squadron Supreme by Mark Grunewald, Bob Hall and, and Paul Ryan. Now, Greg has loved that book since it came out. He bought it off the racks. It's his favorite work. He reads it like every year. And I had actually bought issues of it sporadically over the mm-hmm. years, but never read it. Because gotcha. I knew I didn't have the entire thing. And so I would do these bin dives and I would find an issue. I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure I don't have this one. And I would buy it. And I never – I didn't realize until Greg said to me, hey, I've always loved Squadron Supreme. Can we cover that on the show? Where I was like, oh, I don't think I own the whole thing. And I dig through my long boxes and I'm like, oh, not only do I own the whole thing, I have like duplicate issues. Three most times of it. over. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we did something kind of fun, which I had never done before, which is I read every issue for the first time. <laughs> right before the episode, right before we recorded. Okay. So Greg had, you know, 30 years of knowledge and I came in fresh and that was a lot of fun. And we had guests on every episode and mm-hmm. uh, we had like David Gallagher who wrote Only Living Girl and Only Living Boy um, at uh, Image. And and we just, we had a lot of fun with it. And that was probably my favorite show I've ever done because it's the only time I've ever come into a show unprepared. And as mm-hmm. you know, you're in education too. Like teachers, we we prepare for everything. So it it felt really risky, but it was also a lot of fun. Very cool. Very cool. What about pet peeves? Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> viruses, and, you know, mm, um, yeah. there's a lot. Yeah, there's there's quite a few. I would say a, a pet peeve of mine in comic books is uh, fill in artists at the right at the end of an arc. And this is really dumb and this is really petty. You know, but you'll get an arc of a book. You'll get a really good storyline. Sure. And then, and I get why artists, you know, have trouble with deadlines. But I'd almost rather just wait a little bit and have the the one artist on it than get, you know, three issues of the Legend of Captain America by Kevin McGuire and have the fourth <laughs> issue come in by I don't even remember right now who who penciled it. So so yeah, I think that's probably a little comic book pet peeve. Yeah, I'm thinking about the uh, what was it the Grant Morrison New X Men where he was uh, paired with Frank Quitely. Uh-huh. And uh, Frank Whiteley can't do a monthly book. Oh. Um, and this was during the early Gemis Casada run where Marvel wasn't doing monthly books anymore. They were doing 18 issues a year, Yeah. which uh, put Frank Whiteley at even more of a disadvantage. And they brought in poor uh, Igor Cordy or Igor Cordy. Yeah, yeah, Igor Cordy, yeah. Yeah, and uh, oh, man, I felt bad for that guy. But the thing of it is he could do an issue over a weekend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it looked just, like it. <laughs> yeah, it just didn't look that great. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but I totally get you there. That is very annoying to go from, you know, a, a creator that you just you just adore and then, you know, to something you don't. Yeah. <laughs> so where were you born? Uh, California. Like, like most people, like most people in Arizona, I was born in California. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I was born in uh, east of L.A. I was literally born right on the fault line. Uh, and oh, when wow. I was when I was in eighth grade. Yeah, it was eighth grade. Uh, we had a 6.1 earthquake hit, and I've never forgotten this because I was in a science class, and my science teacher, it was like a model plane enthusiast, mm-hmm. and he had them all hanging from the ceiling by strings, oh boy. and I felt like freaking Iwo Jima. Like the, just the, the plane started dropping. The earth is shaking, and the planes start falling, and they're hitting us, and, and the, I'll never forget this man. This, this is amazing. So my science teacher is an older guy. He's probably in his 50s. And he, there's two of us in the room. Uh, I think it was like right before class was going to start, and mm-hmm. we had just come in a little early. He ran over, physically lifted us, 
and took us to the door frame because you're supposed to be under the door frame in an earthquake. Sure. It's the most stable place. And I've never forgotten that, like that like, weird superhuman strength oh, wow. to uh, to lift us up. And then we all go out into our quote unquote playground. When you go to school in East L.A., a playground is just the asphalt sure. and the asphalt had split and there wow. was like a huge crevice and all of the dumb kids in my class were skateboarding over it until we got yelled at. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about that? Now, uh, what would you say your greatest achievement outside of creating content for the Internet would be? I, I was a, you know, I'm still in education. I'm still an educator, but I was a classroom teacher for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And so that always, you know, that that's a, a something I'm always proud of. And, you know, all the mm-hmm. kids I was able to teach and, you know, I, I think the good I was able to do. And, sure. you know, I, I taught middle school, so I get automatically into heaven when I die. Like that's there you just go. <laughs> fast pass. They fast pass at Disneyland. <laughs> You teach middle school and you just you you cut the line and you go no right questions through. asked. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your oddest habit? That is that's such a weird question. I, I eat pizza with a knife and fork. Ooh. I yeah, yeah. Yeah. As a New Yorker, I knew you were going to be repulsed <laughs> by it. my wife. My wife is a New Yorker and is equally yes. repulsed by this there. I, I get really fastidious. I, I get weird about like greasy hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm bizarre that way. Like I need, okay. you know, things to be clean. And so at some point in my life, I feel like I realized if I eat pizza with a knife to fork, my hands won't get greasy. And so to this day I do it. And I mean, to the shock of my in-laws from New York. And then, <laughs> and then if I really want to freak my in-laws out, I dip my pizza in ranch and then they just want to die. They just oh. want to kill me. I can't oh. believe you've been living in Arizona this long and you don't dip your pizza in ranch. That's like I a rite of passage. Ranch isn't allowed in my house. Oh. Ranch, and, ranch and mustard are not allowed in my house. Those mustard, I guess, that's never the, come in. Yeah, that's the <laughs> devil's condiment. But ranch dressing is is and pizza is the best. <laughs> now, now the question that I, I I've this is like the silliest question here in this list, but it's like the funnest as well. Who would play you in a movie about your life? So I, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> the perfect actor for who would portray me would be like the love child of Stanley Tucci and Cheech Marin. So, uh, which I know is weird, but it actually, if you, you see me, you'd be like, oh yeah, I totally get that, dude. I totally get where you're coming from. So probably Stanley Tucci, but I have a full head of hair uh, thinking okay. things to the Mexa blood. Uh, so one of the big benefits of being Mexican is, you know, we're a hairy people, but sure. we keep our full heads of hair. And so, but yeah, Stanley Tucci's mine. Very cool. Very cool. Now, why comics? You know, I, you know, it's funny. I, I've had people ask me over the years, uh, my older sisters in particular, because they were there mm-hmm. when I started collecting. And they have always were like, you know, it's so strange that you had this habit when you were a kid, this thing you loved. And then it's just, you know, you've never let it go. You've always loved it. And I, I don't want to get heavy, but like, I think the thing for me is comics never disappoint. Mm-hmm. There are issues that'll let me down. There are series that'll let me down. God knows there are creators who will <laughs> let you down. But as a medium, you know, whenever I'm going through a hard time in my life, whenever I'm sad, sure. you know, whenever something comics are the thing that I go to and they're the thing that helps pull me out. I mean, we're literally, you know, living in quarantine right now. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who are comic collectors, it's like, oh, OK, I, I you know, look, I'm it's awful. And, and obviously, I hope everybody's healthy and, and I'm not dismissing that piece. But for those of us who are comic book collectors, it's like, oh, yeah, I can be in my house for a month because I'm sure. just going to dive into my collection and I'm good. So, yeah, I think it's just because it's it's always sustained. I, it just, it's right. always been a piece of my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, back when you're in high school, what did people think about you? I went to a, a really big high school in uh, out here in mm-hmm. Phoenix, in Arizona. And I think we had 30 
800 people at the high okay. school. And it was before because a new high school was being built and it hadn't been finished yet. So we had almost like two high schools worth of people. Gotcha. In fact, my senior photo was so large when they took it up my whole class, they had to actually hire a crane. Oh, and they had split it in two into two large photos. So wow. so what's funny about my high school experience is the people in high school thought about me. They mostly the only people who knew me were really my friends. And so, sure. you know, we were all friends. And and that's one of the things I loved about going to a big high school is where other people have this like, you know, Riverdale archetypal, like those were the popular kids. Those were the nerdy kids. My school was so damn big that I don't even know who the popular kids at my school were. I have no idea sure. because okay. I never met them. In fact, I had a job in college and I, I stood next to a girl, a woman for six months counting pills in a pharmacy before we realized we had graduated together, that we had That's gone funny. to the same high school for years and we had just never met. That's funny. How about that? Now, uh, who would you say your favorite performers are? I'm going to show my age, but uh, I'm a diehard Counting Crows fan. I've loved that band. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yes, I've loved that band since the 90s. My wife hates them, but I I, I love Counting Crows. Yeah, Yeah, me too. My, me too. My wife puts up with them because she knows I love them. <laughs> uh, she, yeah, she's not as big a fan, but I've seen them a ton of times live. In fact, anytime they come to Arizona, I see them live. And so, yeah, that's that's the band I've been following since very I cool. was in high school, really. Oh, how about that? that that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, they're, they're very... Uh, they're very uh, under what's that word here underappreciated or underrated. Yes. They're uh, they're they've good stuff here. They're they're newer stuff. I'm not really all that into, but uh, the stuff from like the first album back. Oh, or, yeah. I don't even know if it's their first one, but the the Mr. Jones album. Oh yeah, no, that's their first album. Yeah. Okay. And Long December, and I love that. Love that stuff. Um, now, what's the last good book you did or or didn't read? So I am currently reading uh, J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series. Okay. And I love the Harry Potter series unapologetically. It's my mm-hmm. seriously like one of my favorite book series. She mm-hmm. actually writes a, a a series of mysteries under the name Robert Galbraith. She writes under a, a male pseudonym. Okay. And uh, she people didn't know that she was Robert Galbraith for quite a while when the first book came out because she wanted like honest reviews. She didn't want people sure. to read it. To be like, oh, this is just J.K. Rowling. You know, she wanted some some fair reviews. So anyway, I really like that series, and, and I'm currently reading um, the the newest one, which is Lethal White, which is a weird name, but it's really good, and it's a it's a series I recommend. Particularly the first two books are fantastic. Nice, nice. Uh, what was the last good movie you saw? So I'm watching the last good movie I saw all the way through. I have a kid, <laughs> so. Quite often it's a, a movie with a kid, but I, we, we watched Onward from Pixar, uh, which is a super funny, super sweet story about two brothers trying to get to see their dad one time. Uh, mm-hmm. it, and, and it's just a, it's an awesome story for comic book fans, for fantasy fans, for like D&D fans. It's really a sweet, sweet story. I am currently watching. I haven't finished it yet, but I never saw The Social Network, the, the Facebook movie. Okay. And uh, enough people have told me that it's the best movie of the 2010s. And that I was like, oh, I need to watch this. And so now that I have a little bit of time, I'm sitting down sure. and watching it. And I'm about halfway through, and I have to admit it's pretty damn good. Very nice, very nice. Uh, now, who would you say or what would you say is the biggest influence on your content creation? That's interesting. Uh, for podcasting, you know, I don't know because I think well, – yeah, actually, I mean, I guess the first podcasts I really listened to were uh, like Fire and Water Network, so Shag mm-hmm. and Rob, who are really good guys. And then um, tighten up the defense, so Hub and Corey, and then explain the X Men. 
Um, mm-hmm. So Jay and Miles, they those podcasts were the first ones I kind of dived into when I got into podcasting. And I don't think I don't you know, I don't think I've emulated them in, mm-hmm. in any way that's dishonest. I just think I learned from listening to those shows. One, the myriad ways you can do a show. You know, Jay and Miles are, are very scripted and very, you know, not really funny. It's not really a funny show. It's more about diving into the issues where tighten up the defense is all about being really funny. And uh, so I learned, you know, that the, the best shows are just the shows where you're yourself. So I think that's mm-hmm. probably those shows probably had a big impact on me. Cool. Cool. Now, um, what's your greatest unfulfilled or unfulfilled even ambition in mm-hmm. podcasting? I think I would really love to interview Roger Stern. Uh, this is gonna sound weird because I probably could. I mean, if I reached out, I, I sure. you know, probably could line this up. But, you know, he, so anyway, he wrote my favorite Avengers art, uh, run in the '80s. He wrote my okay. favorite Doctor Strange run. Was he, he? He was under siege, right? Yeah, that's that's Very Roger cool. Stern. Okay. Yeah, all the way through under siege. His Doctor Strange run with Paul Smith is my my favorite Doctor Strange run. He wrote my favorite Spider-Man run. He he created the Hobgoblin and mm-hmm. that whole mystery, which eventually gets botched, but he was gone by that point. Sure. And anyway, he he's written my favorite runs on a number of books. And so he's just somebody I've always wanted to talk to because I don't think he gets the credit he deserves as one of the like great writers of the 80s and 90s. I could see that for sure. Yeah. Now, what would you say is the worst part of creating content for the internet? Uh, editing. <laughs> I mean, there's not even a like without hesitation it's editing i said this to you before we started recording today i i, I said I, i'm almost afraid to ask how long it took you to edit the first episode of this show because the episode itself was like nine hours and like 35 minutes and it's usually a two to one it's usually twice as long as the episode is you know it takes twice as long to edit and you were much more efficient than that but yeah the editing part's the worst because it if when you're the editor on your episodes you get the joy of recording it but then you have to listen to it back and you know take out all the errors Okay. And then I listen to it again upon release because I want to make sure there are no, you know, like every, cause every once in a while you'll release an episode. Oh, yeah, it happens to everybody. And, sure. it, you know, there's something happens in the middle of it or the whole thing didn't upload or something weird. And you just want to make sure you catch that early. Yeah. And so by the time you're done, you've listened to the, the thing like three times okay. and you're like, oh, there's just no pleasure in this right now. <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm. I'm I've now heard this alpha flight segment three times. I'm done. You know, I'm I'm good. So so I the editing part's probably the worst, which is why I also love guesting on shows. Like like I am fully enjoying being on this show. One, I love getting to talk to you. Two, I love getting to talk about Alpha Flight. Three, you get to do all the editing, and I get I to be the selfish jerk who's like, I'm just gonna roll in and talk about Alpha Flight. Woohoo! <laughs> No, you're, 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 you're right there. Editing. I, there were, there were a few months where I was putting out like three or four shows a week. I know. Oof. I don't know how you were doing that. I know. I, and I, I, I mean, I was in communication with you, like when you, especially when you made that switch to kind of solo hosting for a while. Yeah. And I love those episodes. Actually, that was a real, um, <laughs> uh, I think a real breakthrough. Like, I, I mean, I loved your, you know, the Chris and Reggie shows are brilliant, but I loved your shows as they got more personal. And I was really into that. And at one point I stopped and I was like, I, I've spent like four hours in the car with him in the last two weeks <laughs> on podcasts. Like, oh, my God. Like, how much is he recording and editing? <laughs> Lots. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I was a very uh, I was in a very weird place. Uh, hopefully I'll get back there sometime soon. Uh, now, uh, when nobody's looking, what do you do? When nobody's looking, <laughs> I uh, I check my hair okay. like all the time and it's not it's not vanity you you don't look like me and, and have vanity like that's that's been that's, that's lost a long time ago but i have this weird thing 
one, because I'm very happy that I still have a full head of hair. Sure. But I, especially now under quarantine, I haven't had a haircut like all the rest of us. My hair grows really fast. Okay. And so I have this weird thing where I'll run my hands through it to make sure it's not sticking up too high because it's really bouffanty <laughs> right now. I mean, sure. I, can, I could seriously, I could be a jet or a shark right now. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. I could be an extra on the set of Grease. <laughs> And so I, I always run my hands through my hair. It's just a habit I've always had. And right now it's bad because as I'm checking to make sure it's not too poofy, running my hair and hands through it makes it super poofy. And Dude. then my wife yells at me. <laughs> now, what's one thing we haven't covered here that you think the people ought to know about you? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's I just I That's love the comics. dumbest question, isn't it? Yeah, it's a hard it's a hard question. <laughs> like I love comics, and you know, I think one thing I'd say people could know about me is I. I think I did a really good job in life in just narrowing in on the things I love. Like my wife and I have been together for 23 years. I've been collecting comics since I was eight. You know, I've, I've been in education for 20 years at this point. So like, I kind of found my grooves early sure. and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to stay there. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the original stay in your lane guy. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. Like I'm here. I'm happy. So, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm what weirdly super happy that my life has taken me to a point where I'm talking to you about Alpha Flight 102. There you are. <laughs> very, very cool. And I'm, I'm happy it brought you here as well. But uh, I think that's all we have for this Alpha Flight segment. So I want to thank you for, uh, for joining me again. And uh, we will definitely do this again uh, within the next few weeks <laughs> as we continue our trek. But uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure and a blast. But uh, after this, we will send it over to uh, whatever whatever other book follows this one. <laughs> Whatever's in next. The, uh, in the litany of uh, From Claremont to Claremont. A mouth like yours. We should have just tried to sneak in here with a marching band. No place to run. No place to run. The mutant has now.